Alcohol had to do its job on me before y'all could do your work with me. The only thing that was going to convince me that I was powerless over alcohol was alcohol. Well, hello, friends of Bill W. and other friends. You have landed on Sober Speak. My name is John M. I am an alcoholic, and we are glad you are all here, especially newcomers. Newcomers, that is, both to recovery as a whole and newcomers to this podcast. Sober Speak is a podcast about recovery centered around the 12 steps of Alcoholics Anonymous. My job here on Sober Speak is simple. My job is to provide a platform to the amazing stories of recovery all around us. Consider Sober Speak, if you will, your meeting between meetings. Please remember, we do not speak for AA or any 12-step community. We represent only ourselves. We are here to share our experience, strength, and hope with those who wish to come along for the ride, take what you want, and leave the rest at the curb for the trash man to pick up. Hello, you incredible souls out there. That was the voice of Mr. Gary Kay, who many of you have heard before, which you heard at the beginning of this episode, and you will be hearing so much more from him in just a moment. But first things first, on this here episode number 169 of Sober Speak, this episode is brought to you by, sponsored by, presented by, however you want to say that, Marcos and Tanya and Ronit. You know what Marcos and Tanya and Ronit did? Well, let me tell you, they went to our website, www.soberspeak.com, and they clicked on the PayPal. What happened to my voice there? And they... (laughs) And they clicked on the PayPal tab at the top of the Sober Speak website, and they made a, a contribution. So thank you so much, Marcos and Tanya and Ronit. This episode is coming right out to you from my heart to you, from my heart to yours. I so appreciate your generosity. I, John M., will be the chairperson for this meeting between meetings, and I am truly honored to serve all of you listening in. So take a seat, if you will, around this virtual table, and let's get started. Once again, if you are new to the podcast, and we get so many of those at the beginning of the year, you know, people make the New Year's resolutions and and all that sort of stuff. And, And let me say this. You know how, at least in a normal year, not this year, but in a normal year when January comes along and perhaps you are a member of a workout facility, gym, whatever you want to call it, and you notice that in December, the gym was practically uh, empty. And then you get up to January, and first January, February, and part of March, it just gets ah, oh, like there's wall to wall people. Everyone's made their 
their their start into the new year. They're going to lose weight or be healthy or whatever they're going to do, right? Well, when when I experience that, I'm always hoping, well, I just wish that the newcomers would go back to their homes and let me have my space in the gym again. <laughs> so I'm sure many of you have experienced that in the past. But it is different when you talk about the rooms of Alcoholics Anonymous or Al-Anon or any of your 12-step groups, or you talk about this podcast. When this podcast comes along in January and we get all the new people flooding in, I am praying that they stay. And, uh, and not for me, but for them, you know, that, that they can somehow find a new way of life. And when the rooms get more crowded in Alcoholics Anonymous, when January comes along, I am hoping and praying that those people find a way out and we welcome them in. It's not like a gym membership. But nonetheless, if you are new to the pod, you'll know I'm very hip because I use things like, I say things like the pod. And then I say like the ep. The ep is an episode on the pod. But nonetheless, if you are new to le pro, le, excuse me, I'm trying to say le programme in a French kind of accent, but it's not really working. So, but if you are new to le programme and you want to follow us uh, on Instagram, just go to at uh, SoberSpeak all one word in la Instagram. Uh, if you want to be in our super secret Facebook group, just send me your email. Yes, your email that is associated with your Facebook account. Remember, it always has to be associated with your Facebook account. Send that email to me at john, J-O-H-N, at soberspeak.com, and we will get you in there. There are plenty of amazing, like-minded friends of Bill W., Al-Anon, and other 12-step programs in there. You don't have to be a member of Alcoholics Anonymous in there. We would love to have you in there uh, if you want to be there. So I want to tell you a little something here. Um. You know, I try to make this thing as, uh, I, I don't know, as fun as we possibly can, but I also want to keep it real in that when I came out of the holidays, and I've been through this before, and I don't know exactly why, but here's what I can tell you. I am a creature of habit. I like my dull, boring routine. And when I came out of the holidays this year and I was going back to work, I had taken some time off work and... So I was going back to work and, uh, you know, we were just kind of getting a schedule started. I can tell you that for whatever reason, I went into a funk. And when I say a funk, it was a depression. Uh, it started right after the holidays um, and, uh, and I couldn't really put my finger on it. And sometimes I do everything that the program asked me to do. Like I, I work with others. Uh, I take inventory. I ask God to remove my fears or, or or my resentments. I talk with my sponsor about it, which I did. Uh, I, I talk to other people about it. I, I actually bring it up at meetings. I do everything that the program asked me to do, and there's this funk that just would not go away. And has that ever happened to you? 
My guess is there's folks out there that that is happening to right now or has happened to in the past or will happen to in the future. And and I just want to say that today, at least, I feel better. Who knows? I could go down the tubes tomorrow. But, you know, I went to a step study this morning. Uh, Like I said, I talked to my sponsor this week. I've tried to be kind to those about me. I'm sharing with y'all. I've shared with many people. I simply follow the process that has been laid out by Alcoholics, Anon- Alcoholics Anonymous. And I'm asking not just Alcoholics Anonymous, right? We're not the first ones to think about this stuff. But um, there are other people who, who have thought about maybe not the process in the way that Alcoholics Anonymous has done it, but um, they have definitely talked about all the principles that are in AA for a long time. And so anyway, I just wanted to throw that out there. If you're one of those that is struggling with depression here over the first of the year, uh, perhaps you can relate to me. Here is a, I wanted to throw this out here also. Miss Crystal wrote in regarding the episode from last week. And by the way, the episode from last week was Brian P. It's uh, episode number 168. And episode number 168 is Brian P. discussing steps one and two of Alcoholics Anonymous. And Crystal says, hi, John, double exclamation point. I love Brian's message, double exclamation point. He is another wonderful speaker, and I'm looking forward to continue listening to his experience in the steps. Keep up your amazing work and all the service you do. You are my favorite, or or, this is my favorite podcast by far. And then a couple of big, strong arms, you know, the guys flexing their arms, you know, like for strength. Well, thank you, Crystal. I appreciate it. And you know what? I actually went back this week and I don't always do this. Um, but I wanted to listen to Brian because I remember it's been a while since I recorded him and I was listening to him on on episode number 168, just a little reminder. And I was thinking, this is some good stuff. I am recording <laughs> some really awesome stuff. I really ought to go back and listen to this sometimes. I mean, it's just absolutely wonderful what Brian P. did and the way he explained steps one and two and just how he articulated it. And, and anyway, Crystal, I appreciate you writing in. Brian P., if you're out there listening, I appreciate you and what you have contributed to this podcast thus far. And we will definitely be having Brian back on the podcast to talk about some of the additional steps. And then I wanted to share this. I have a a review on iTunes. Apple Podcasts is what it's called. And the review says, awesome. It says, I was looking for information on alcoholism. I came across this great podcast. I listen to this podcast daily, and I really listen to many of the sessions. This truly is a meeting in between meetings. John does a remarkable job at keeping the audience engaged. The speakers and their stories are remarkably wonderful. I will continue to listen to these podcasts and I'll recommend them to anyone. Oh, I would recommend this to anyone you know who is looking for help. And then assigned by, or it's, you know, the ID, it says Mama Bear via Apple Podcast. So I don't know exactly who the person is. But Mama Bear, if you're out there listening, I sure appreciate you writing that review in Apple Podcasts. All right, now on to our our session, our ep 
our episode. And this episode is from Gary K. And this is from a live session that we did with Gary K at a live event we had. It's called Sober Speak Live. By the way, if you're not on my email list and you want to get on it, write me once again, John, J-O-H-N at SoberSpeak.com. I'll get you on that list. And when we have these live events, you can come in and join us. But this is Gary K at a live event. And he talks at length about action and transparency. He talks about the secrets and the danger of keeping secrets, bondage of self. He talks about fear. He addresses trust and so, so much more, ladies and gentlemen. So without further ado, please welcome Mr. Gary Kay. And once again, we will have plenty of listener feedback at the end of this ep. Enjoy. Hello, everybody. My name is John M. I am an alcoholic. Hello, friends of Bill W. and other friends. This is Sober Speak Live uh, to remind us of why we're all here and to focus our thoughts on that purpose. We ask that all would who, who would care to please join me in a moment of silent meditation followed by the serenity prairie. Serenity prayer. God, grant me the serenity to accept the things I cannot change. Courage to change the things I can and the wisdom to know the difference. Alcoholics Anonymous is a fellowship of men and women extremely good-looking men and women, I can tell you from looking at this group right here, uh, who share their experience, strength, and hope with each other that, may, that they may solve their common problem and help others to recover from alcoholism. The only requirement for membership is a desire to stop drinking. There are no dues or fees for AA membership. We are self-supporting through our own contributions. AA is not allied with any sect, denomination, politics, organization, or institution. We do not wish to engage in any controversy, neither endorse nor oppose any causes. Our primary purpose is to stay sober and to help other alcoholics to achieve sobriety. As I mentioned earlier, this is an open meeting of Alcoholics Anonymous, which means that anyone can attend. All right, Mr. Gary Kay, well, welcome to Sober Speak Live. We are so glad you are here. You are the man. So go ahead, introduce yourself, Mr. Gary. And if you would, give your sobriety date and also tell people what area of the country you hail to us from, if you would, please. We would do. Hello, everybody. I am an alcoholic. My name is Gary. And I am really, 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 really grateful for a sobriety date and a new life that started July 25th of 1994. I live in a little town right now due east of Dallas, about 90 miles, Sulphur Springs, Texas. All right, so let's go ahead and get started with your story, Gary. So, I, you know, I know uh, quite a bit of it because we've been able to spend some, oh gosh, probably six or seven episodes together now. And I truly have uh, enjoyed very much getting to know you. But let's just go ahead and kind of reset, if you will. So why don't you go ahead and tell people 
a little bit of your background. And, and p- the piece that I really, quite honestly, am most interested in is you talked about your relationship with your father growing up. And I also am, in, am interested in the fact that you were a Methodist pastor uh, and you're a counselor and your background there in terms of vocation. So you want to go ahead and just start off there? Uh, I guess I can do that. I was raised out in West Texas in Odessa. Went off to college to Texas A&M. Uh, where I did graduate with the rest of my class in the fifth year. Uh, Went to a couple of graduate schools. I usually tell folks, John, that if I had a wall here, I could just about paper that wall with uh, college diplomas and licenses and certificates. And if I added marriage license, the wall would be just plumb full. The uh, the background, you know, John mentioned I was a, a Methodist pastor for 14 years, a psych therapist, uh, several other careers. But I'll tell you, if you're new here, while I was getting the education for those careers and uh, while I was learning all that wonderful stuff, the more I learned, the drunker I got. So none of that played a hand in me being able to get sober. So uh, it's good experience to look back on and draw from now. So, Gary, do you think that all those degrees in education actually acted as an impediment to getting sober? Or would it, I mean, what's your thought on that? I really don't have one. Uh, I used to say, you know, I could be so smart. But the impediment, if you're new here, and I, I try to share this every time I tell my story. I came in with a belief I didn't even know I had that I could learn recovery if I just read enough and journaled enough, maybe if I went to process groups, maybe if I had the opportunity to to talk about, you know, all of my childhood and all of that stuff, I could learn recovery if I could hear the right person, get the right book. And I'm so grateful that I got sober out in West Texas where I jokingly say half the people in the room couldn't spell cat if you spotted on two letters, (laughs) but they could do something I couldn't do. They knew how to live a happy, useful, joyful life, sober. And I couldn't do that. And I'm grateful that what I experienced in here is that, uh, and I really, I guess, warn people about that from time to time. I could not learn recovery. I had to experience recovery. And I simply uh, use as an analogy, I did not learn my alcoholism. I experienced it. I did not learn my descent into the pits of hell. I experienced that day by day, behavior by behavior, drink by drink. And when I got in here, I was in a real hurry to try to learn my way into recovery. And in my experience, this is not a program of learning. It's a program of doing. Action uh, is one of the two most spiritual words in our program. So I, what I've experienced is that I had to take action. What's the other word? Transparency. Action and transparency. 
We'll talk about transparency. What do you mean by that? I mean, prior to getting to you folks, and a lot of the time since getting here, uh, I'll back up. I use very often that first description of us in the first doctor's opinion, and then when Bill begins to write, and he said it didn't satisfy us to be told that we were in full flight from reality, uh, outright mental defectives, and uh, maladjusted life. You remember that? If you're new here, I always say, welcome to AA. However, he says very quickly, that doesn't make us alcoholics. We have to go ahead and discover that we have the allergy of the body and we've got that obsession of the mind. But what I mean by transparency is this, and you have to look at your own lives. I have found out by doing the inventory, by coming all the way in, sitting all the way down and staying here, that I was really maladjusted to life before I ever took my first drink. Alcohol did not make me into the person I became. I already had a good background in that, and part of it was maladjusted to life. You know, you've heard nearly every speaker you've ever heard say as a kid they always felt different, and I don't know if every kid doesn't feel different. But I just know I was thinking to myself most of the time. And part of my maladjustment is I had secrets. Long before I took my first drink, you know, I was all, always had some secrets that I was making sure people didn't find out about, starting with mother and daddy and then family members. And then even when I got friends, I always had secrets. And when I got into Alcoholics Anonymous, I found one of the reasons I was always spiritually sick was because of the stuff that I was trying to hide from other people. You know, you'll hear it said in meetings that secrets kill us. Well, my understanding of that is that when I've got a secret, John, that means the keeping of my secret is more important than me being at one with any other person. And so there's no opportunity for intimacy of just being with people. And that's a great description of a spiritual sickness, living alone in the universe. You know, I'm with other people, but really never can be a part of them. So I got in here and discovered I had to start becoming transparent. Uh, I can't withhold things. You know, my first sponsor told me that. And he said, you're not going to do it all at once, but you're going to start doing it little by little by little because unless and until you come in here and get in the middle of that book and start living a transparent life, you're not going to be able to get and stay sober. And once you're in here and you're doing that, if you start to withdraw again and you've got secrets in recovery, you're not going to be able to stay sober. Amen, Brother Gary. So that's what I mean by transparency and it's action. Now, that doesn't mean I'm going to unload my fifth step off on you folks tonight. But it does mean that there's not one thing in my life that if I'm sitting down with another man or a woman taking them through these steps, 
I don't have any secrets anymore that I'm afraid to share. And I still meet with my sponsor for an hour every week. And that man knows everything. He knows what I'm thinking about. He knows the things I've done. Uh, and it's good. I learned probably it's been the last 15 years. I'll tell him stuff now I'm thinking about doing. And the good news about that, y'all try this sometime. I've been, I've been considering it in my mind all week. I think I'm going to do this or I'm going to go meet her. I'm going to go make this pot load of money this way. And in my mind, it sounds really good. But when I say it out loud, it's kind of like, whoa, that doesn't sound all that good. You know, I have to hear myself saying my stuff out loud. And when I do that, most of the time, he doesn't have to say a word. I get to hear it. But it, have you noticed for yourself stuff we talk to ourselves about in our heads sounds so much more differently when it comes out of our mouths out loud. So that becoming and staying transparent has been exceedingly important for me. I believe it's one of the two action words uh, or one of the two words along with action that simply have to happen for us to live a, well, to live free of alcoholism. One might find a way to live free of alcohol and maintain a lot of secrets, but I want to be reminded all the time, I do not have the illness of alcohol. I have the illness of alcoholism. And it's a physical, mental, and spiritual illness, but it's mainly spiritual. And the thing that will keep me spiritually sick is not so much the things that I do, but the things that I do or I'm thinking about doing that I refuse to share with anyone else. That's right. So I want to talk a little bit about one of your episodes was called, uh, we, we decided to entitle it uh, A Spiritual Hygiene. And it's one of the most listened to episodes that we've ever had on Sober Speak. It obviously struck a chord with a lot of people. And, and we were addressing step 11. But I, I want you to talk a little bit about that that term that uh, I had never heard that term before, before you used it. Talk to me about what you mean when you're thinking about spiritual hygiene. Well, it comes from a question first. Do any of you remember a time when your life really did stink? And it doesn't have to be the day you walked in here. You know, I've had a stinking life some while I've been here. And for me, this, this is a very practical, a very pragmatic, simple, pragmatic spiritual program. Now, the example I used with, uh, earlier on that is that I happen to be a grandfather. And many of you have children, nieces, nephews, little kids. My granddaughter, in my eyes, is probably about the most brilliant child that's ever lived. Uh, I know I'm a <laughs> Probably a little biased there. <laughs> but, you know, as brilliant as she was when she was young, when she started things like brushing her teeth, I'm figuring it took her mom and dad probably about a year to get her into the habit 
of doing that daily as a part of her routine. You know, and y'all remember that, buying the kids' toothbrushes and the children's toothpaste and all that. But, you know, it, it's good hygiene. Most of you brush your teeth every day. Now, I didn't always do that when I was drinking, but what I mean by spiritual hygiene, if I don't brush my teeth in the morning, and I do that, and I shower uh, more than once a week these days, you know, I, I shower once or twice a day many days. I wear deodorant. I know about the value of physical hygiene. And if I don't do that stuff, my life's going to stink. I'm going to be around people and my breath is going to run them away or my odor is going to run them away. I know the value in relationships of good physical hygiene. You know, when I worked, I kept a toothbrush at the office. Many of us carry breath mints. I carry around, I live in Texas where we sweat a lot. So I carry a can of that body spray around. I know about good physical hygiene. Well, I've got to have good spiritual hygiene. The same way I would no more get up and leave the house in the morning without brushing my teeth. I don't want to get up and leave the house in the morning without brushing my spirit, without doing that 11th step of the spiritual hygiene. And I'm going to finish all the way through that 11th step throughout the day. Sometimes it tells us we have to pause. Well, throughout the day, physically, sometimes I'd pop a breath in or I'd use some of that spray. I got to do the same thing with spiritual hygiene. You know, some prayers throughout the day. I start to get a little angry or a little afraid or a little agitated. Pause and do the, that 10th step right. So that, and at night, I'm going to clean my body. I'm going to brush my teeth again. Well, why not do my spiritual hygiene and do that 11th step and review my day in the evening before I go to sleep? So that's what I mean, just a very pragmatic thing. And I'm telling you, if I don't do that, you know what happens? What? My life stinks. My life stinks. Maybe my breath is good, but I get short-tempered with people where I, I go out leaving the house that morning thinking about what I can get for myself rather than what I can add to the lives of other people. I have to do daily spiritual hygiene if I don't want to stink in life. And I don't want to stink in life anymore. It's just a simple thing to do to get into that 11th step until it's just part of my, part of my life. And just like I was talking with one of my sponsees today. I believe I was in here about 11 months. I'd already completed my first ninth step, but I was here about 11 months before I was in the routine of every day doing the same six simple things that I do each day. I didn't just do it and in two weeks had it down. It took me about 11 months to get those behaviors down. And Bill talks about them on page 88 of the big book. We allow God to discipline us in the manner that we've just outlined. You know, and there's a big difference between discipline. If you discipline someone, it's done for their benefit. Punishment is done for the benefit of the one who's doing it. Well, I don't have a, 
in any shape, form, or fashion of punishing God. But I've been given this design for living, and that's a discipline for me to work into, if that makes any sense or an answer to your question. It does. Take the word, take the word spiritual, folks. Cross out the first three letters, and what you're left with is ritual. Having some spiritual rituals that I'm going to surrender to on a daily basis make almost every day of my life a gift beyond anything I could have ever imagined that I was going to have before coming to you people. And I shared in a meeting last night, I've kept the same sponsor for 25 years in two months. And one reason I keep him is because he doesn't ask me to do anything that he doesn't do. And he doesn't do much. <laughs> we do the same things repetitively. It's called 10 and 11, you know, in the, I think it's page 83 where it says the spiritual life is not a theory. We have to live it. Well, for me, that's 10 and 11. That's what we have to live. And when I get into the discipline of, of living those two steps, life's pretty darn good most of the time. But the best part about it is most of the time, I may not be helping a lot of folks, but by God, I'm not hurting people the way I used to. And that makes life pretty good. That does. I want to ask you something, a little kind of a curveball here. So I get people writing in regarding your voice on a consistent basis. They talk about your your drawl and the you know the tone that you have. Were you like, I don't know, six, seven years old and started talking like that? Or when did it come about? Uh hell, I must have been about 47. That's when I got sober. <laughs> <laughs> so maybe that's when it changed. I don't know. Well have you had a lot of people talk about your voice, say you have a radio voice or whatever throughout your life? Yes. And uh, they'll also I also tell them it's only good for talking. <laughs> what I does can't that mean? Sing, I can't do any of that <laughs> stuff. I, I can just talk, you know. So I'm, I told my mother when I was 16 years old, I came in for my third day of working in the oil field in West Texas. You used to go to work as big when you were big enough to do it. She asked me about the day, and I said. Mother, I don't know what I'm going to do for a living, but I know I'm not going to work for a living. I'm going to find some way to talk for a living. <laughs> That's great. Yeah, I was watching a a, a special last night, uh, and, and it had a Billy Gibbons on it from a ZZ Top, and he actually had the same kind of voice that you have, but he could get up behind a mic and actually keep keep that voice going, but that's not your gift. Obviously, God gave, gave you the talking voice, not the singing voice. I've been drunk with Billy Gibbons one day. Really? Yeah. Oh, I would like I'm to hear you two talking to each other. <laughs> well, he was, they were the band at a private party that I went to. And uh, so we weren't doing anything but sharing the party and the, uh, a lot of stuff. We were doing a lot of things I probably don't even need to talk about on here, but we <laughs> have an idea of what they were. <laughs> yeah, you guys could have had a uh, who has the most baritone voice contest. 
<laughs> I don't know who would have won. But didn't you say also that you were sitting in uh you I was were... in San Francisco going out to speak at a conference last summer and was talking to someone and somebody stopped me and said, Are you Gary Kay on Sober Speak? <laughs> I said, Well, yeah, I reckon I am. They said, I recognize that voice anyplace, you know. We had a great conversation. Oh, that's great. That's great. So, okay, another thing, getting back to uh, on track here, because I can go off track very easy, as you know. Uh, another thing I heard you say one time was, how'd you put it that? Steps 10 and 11 are not for, quote, extra credit. And I think I understand where you're going with that. But what did you mean by that? They're not for extra credit. They, For me, they are the daily problem. They are the daily surrender. Uh, Step 10 is just four through nine over and over again. You know, if you read it, it says we continue to watch for resentment, fear, dishonesty, resentments. You know, that's what I just got through doing in four through nine. So I need to continue that. I'm, I met a few people in AA that seem to come across like they've been just made pure as the driven snow. I've got my doubts on that, but I'll tell you that I'm sure not one of them. You know, I I need a program for living, and I need a program uh, for living where I can be somewhat useful to other people. And in order to do that, ten and eleven are not for extra credit. You know, the steps for me are not like a a college assignment. You know, too often I believe they become that people and we've got all kinds of treatment center and AA member and uh, AA guru types and we've got counselors they've all got these handouts and all that stuff on the steps and I share with people we've got a book that says right there in the forward to show others precisely how we have recovered is the main purpose of this book and Bill's going to go over that several times, and then he's going to tell us later on clear-cut directions we're given. So the steps aren't an assignment. It's, it's not a psychological exercise I'm doing here. I think, John, you asked that question about education. One of the things that maybe helped me, and I didn't even know it in the beginning, is that, I mean, I was a good therapist. Uh, I always did well in, in school. I knew all of that stuff. What kind of therapist were you, Gary? Individual and family for the most part. Okay. I wouldn't see alcoholics. I got a bunch of them in and if I had the evaluation and I determined they were alcoholics, I'd tell them, I'm not going to work with you on what you think your problem is because you've got a bigger problem. There's no need trying to work on your marriage or on your I love it to people that want to do anger management, all that stuff. You better take care of the problem that's killing you. And I would try to give them a referral to uh, the 12 step group that they needed to be in or some other place. Was this before you got to Alcoholics Anonymous? This was after I got my license back after I got sober. Gotcha. Okay. So I got you off track there. You were saying about your education. I just knew somehow inherently that alcoholism, this illness that I have, this threefold illness, this physical, mental, and spiritual illness, 
I inherently knew it is not a therapeutic illness and it will not respond to a therapeutic answer. It is a spiritual illness and it must have a spiritual answer. And for so many, I think a lot of the psycho babble stuff that we mix in with recovery just keeps us off track and throws us off track. And the program out of our book is a very simple, pragmatic program, you know, and it's going to bring about a spiritual change. So I don't need to spend a lot of time working on childhood trauma or any of that stuff. I need to find a way to be changed and have nothing to do with the change. And in doing these steps, I discover things about myself that I wasn't going to discover in any other way. Okay. So you're going to have a lot of people listening to this podcast since we're going to make an episode out of this. And you probably have people that are on the uh, uh, meeting right now. So I just want to go ahead and clarify that. Are you, are you saying that in your opinion, at least that, um, well, well, let me rephrase the question. How do therapy or counseling or whatever and such dovetail with Alcoholics Anonymous? Do you think is good for people in that arena? Oh, yeah. People that are doing their job. A, a therapist can genuinely help someone discover what their problem is. But if it happens to be a spiritual illness like alcoholism, uh, they have a hard time taking us to a spiritual answer. You know, therapy can legitimize. Therapy can help me legitimately say, I am this way because of this. And then so what? Now I know I'm that way, but nothing has changed. Spirituality transforms, or if you will, forgives. I don't just need to know I'm this way because I need to have some vehicle that will move me from the way I am to the way I believe that we're all created to be. Bill's got a real good statement for it in our third step. That's why 60 to 63 is a part of my daily spiritual hygiene. Relieve me from the bondage of self. And that's what I need. And, and we're, not, we're not about in AA blaming anyone for this illness. We're not saying I'm this way because of doesn't do any good to blame. There is no blame. What I need is recovery. I don't need to pinpoint, you know, why I'm this way. Bill has that uh, in the second chapter where he's saying, by now all of you must be asking, what do I have to do? He doesn't say all of you must be asking, why am I this way? You know, I need to find out the actions that I can take that will transform me. Uh, and I don't need to understand that. I need to experience it. So let's talk about that phrase there, relieve me of the bondage of self. Uh, obviously, that's in the third step. Um, and, uh, it's right there on page 63 as part of the third step prayer. I, I, I get what that says conceptually, right? Uh, that I, um, but, but I want to hear it from you when you think about relieve me of the bondage of self, how does that manifest itself in my day-to-day -day life? What does that mean? Relieve me of the bondage of self and why is self 
considered bondage? Well, I'm not sure it is, but the bondage of a self-reliance leaves me in bondage to self. And why do I have that? I'm not going to know it when I pray the prayer. And I want to make that very clear when I get to the third step for the first time. I don't even have a clue what bondage of self is. I've been introduced to it in the chapter, There is a Solution. And one of the first lines that I could really identify with in the book, we had come to believe in the hopelessness and futility of life as we had been living it. Now, I didn't need a dictionary for that. When I got brought into the rooms, I didn't realize it, but I had come to believe in the hopelessness and futility of life as I was living it a long time before I came in and picked up a chip. But they were that was just a general, this is how I feel, and it came out of me at that time in shame, guilt, and we get a little further in the book after that prayer, and he's going to tell me what how the bondage of self looks like for most alcoholics, and it's called resentments. That's bondage of self. And then we got bigger ones called fears. And right there on the page before the third step prayer, I'm glad that he says it that way, a hundred forms of them. It's not going to do me any good to try to pick out what it is. I'm just I'm in bondage because the fear, uh, and this gets some people, the fear is made up. What do you mean made up? Well, I'm afraid of things. And I go into my mind and I start describing to myself the consequences that are going to occur most likely. And that becomes fear. You know, I'm not going to sit down and have a discussion with my wife about how I believe that I need to make some changes in my life and I'm going to need her help. And I've never been able to say to her before, I'm scared, would you help me? And I, I get an idea, I'm using that for an example. Maybe I need to do that. And then I start thinking about things like, if I do that, she's going to think I'm a well. She's going to think I've been saying, you know, and I start telling myself all of these things. So I'm making up the fear. And the thing the fear always does, I now see it, is it prohibits transparency. You know, I heard somebody early on say, I'm not who I think I am. I'm not who you think I am. I'm who I think you think I am. <laughs> And so I go around life, uh, nearly, down near every alcoholic I've ever met has had a long career of mind reading. Now, I know none of us are very good at it, but by golly, we're persistent at it. <laughs> and so I'm always going to be reading the situation or reading someone else's mind and then making the decisions of what am I going to reveal or not reveal? What am I going to do or not going to do? And so I'm in bondage to me. Well, a resentment is certainly bondage to self. You know, 
And I know we may have newcomers on here that have suffered. And believe me, there are people who suffer trauma from other people, physically, spiritually, mentally. We're never saying to someone that, you know, if you were abused as a child or as an adult, that somehow you're to blame. The program never addresses that. But what the resentment of reliving that over and over again, and remember, a resentment is not necessarily anger. Resentment's just something that I replay over and over and over again, and it'll generally tell me that you're not any good or to tell me that I'm not any good. I just replay it, replay it, replay it. And so that makes me in bondage to events that have happened in the past. And then how many times have you been in a meeting just recently? And you'll hear members of AA say things like, well, from the way things have happened in my past, I just find it so hard to trust people today. I just find it so difficult to give someone my trust. You ever hear that statement? Oh, yeah. Well, I'll share with you, if you're new, this program is saying you've had that wrong your whole life. Our whole life, at least I, was getting information uh, from the religious side of things that you're supposed to love God and trust people. And I've had it backwards forever. I'm supposed to trust God and love people. Human beings are always going to be doing things. If I'm putting my trust in them, I'm screwed. So I've got to eventually move to where I'm going to trust God. And how does an alcoholic trust God? Well, in my experience, our book says it starts with that third step. It starts with that prayer. I'm going to turn my thinking and my actions about my alcoholism and about my life over not to God. We don't just say, here, God, you take it. We turn it over to the care of God. And I was shown the way an alcoholic turns their will and their lives over to the care of God. It's called steps four through twelve. Do these things as scary as they are, or if you're like I am and you happen to come in here with a bad case of brilliance, <laughs> as stupid as they sound, do them anyway. And why am I going to be willing to do them? Well, by this time, hopefully when I'm at step three with the sponsor and we've been reading the book out loud together to get to this point. I have begun to make the discovery that the way I was living just didn't work out all that well. So maybe I'll become willing to try to take some actions that seem like they don't make any sense, but I'm going to try them anyway because I know what I was doing didn't work. Right here. All right, Gary. So last question. You have people that are listening to this in all four corners of the world. Some are what they call sober curious nowadays, which I think is a very interesting uh, phrase. I don't know why they'd be sober curious if they weren't didn't have a drinking problem, but nonetheless, 
You have people that are sober curious. You have people that are actually more than sober curious. They've been in and out of AA and possibly they realize that AA is not for them. Uh, you have another subset that uh, is definitely in AA. They'd like to get s- sober, but unfortunately, they keep trying and trying and just falling down time after time. Really, all I want you to do is kind of share your experience, strength, and hope to that group uh, regarding your experience in Alcoholics Anonymous. Um, and really, I'm trying to get to the people that are that are hurting out there and just need a little bit of hope. So. Why don't you go ahead and share on that? Hmm. <laughs> you know, I go back. I only think we've got two kinds of people that come into AA. Uh, we have convicted felons and we have unconvicted felons, and that's about all we've got. I don't know anybody that's sober curious. Uh, now, they may be saying that. Uh, that may be some of that lack of transparency. but. I tell you what, I just don't see this as a place that people are social climbing to. Uh, I don't uh, believe that I've ever met anybody, if you happen to be new or you're asking those questions. I've never met anybody that said something like, you know, my life's going really, really well, but I'd, I'd like to become a better human being and find out ways to gain some tolerance and understanding of other people and, and to be of service to the world. I think I'll go to AA. Uh, I just don't think it happens that way. My friend Ricky uh, says that I need to be reminded the only reason I'm in AA is because I ran out of a burning house. You know, there's no congratulations for being sober. What I did and what any of you did, it's like we were in a house that was on fire and all we did was run out of it. That doesn't doesn't take uh, all that much courage. It doesn't take all that much good sense. So I would say to those people that you're talking about, if you believe that your life's just fine and if you believe that you can control and enjoy your drinking, then I highly suggest you don't come to AA. Uh, You know, our book, and this may sound hard to some people, the big book of Alcoholics Anonymous never says don't drink. There's going to be three times in the book it's going to tell us, we suggest you go drink. And my answer to your question, John, is this. I'm alcohol had to do its job on me before y'all could do your work with me. The only thing that was going to convince me that I was powerless over alcohol was alcohol. And that's got to be each person, I guess, their own come to Jesus moment. You know, alcohol has got to do its job. And I don't try to get with new people and talk them into doing recovery. I'm not one of those people, I've, you know, recently there have been people wanting to vet. I had one guy, he wanted to vet me as a sponsor. <laughs> and I told him, we don't do things that way, bud. You know, your life's in the drain. I'm living on the beach. I'll be more than glad to share with you how life was for me when it sucked 
and the things that those people that couldn't spell cat if you spotted on two letters had me do. And they got me on the beach. And if you want that, I'll share it with you. But I'm not going to waste your time or my time trying to convince you to do this. And that one group of people you talked about, this is why, folks, when John and Michael and I do one of these things, we only get about three questions because I just go on and on. <laughs> Sorry about that. But if you've got, if you have those folks that say, you know, I've been in and out of AA and it just doesn't work. Alcoholics Anonymous is one of the worst places in the world to visit. This is a bad place to visit. It's a real miserable life for people that are visiting AA. You know, I met many people that the worst time in their life was when they were sitting in the rooms of AA with three months or six months of just not drinking. But they weren't taking any of the actions to be changed and just not drinking left them thinking about they might want to blow their brains out. Alcoholics Anonymous is not a program to just not drink. It's a program for recovery from a spiritual illness called alcoholism. And it's only those people that I've found who stay here are the ones who discover alcohol never was our problem. Our problem is sobriety. I need to find a way to live where I can be comfortable in my own skin and a benefit and service to other people stone cold sober restless irritable and discontented doesn't happen when i'm drinking it's when i'm not drinking the bedevilments in the chapter to the agnostic afraid of misery and depression uh, can't seem to be of real help to other people on and on that's not when i'm drinking that's when i'm stone cold dry i need a program it does for me what alcohol I perceived it to do back when I was drinking it. Only I get a much better set of consequences with recovery than I did with drinking. So I don't know if that answers your question, but this is not a good place to visit. And I've never met people that are in and out of AA. You're either in it or you're out of it. And I know that from experience. But the last thing I'll say on this, read the forward to the second edition. And he's got a little blurb there with some statistics in it. And he said, you know, of the people who came to AA, it really tried. 50% of them got sober at once and stayed that way. Another 25% got sober after some time. And of the remainder of those who stayed, their lives got better. There is no failure in here. The failure is stopping trying. The most powerful spiritual words that I've ever experienced in my life are in the big book of AA. And those words are try, effort, salt, seek. This is not a program of walk in a fine line and you have to do it this way to do it right. It's it's a program of becoming a seeker. 
And I, I had six years, one month, and 14 days between my first dry date and my current one. And I wouldn't wish that off on anybody, but I'd wish it off on anybody before you died of this illness. So you just keep coming back, and sooner or later, you're going to find an alcoholic that wants to share with you the program of recovery out of the book and not one of those just don't drink and go to meetings. That's not a program of recovery. Trust God, clean house, and help others. That works pretty damn well. Thank you so much, Mr. Gary Kay. As always, it is a pleasure spending time with you and all of the listeners that we had on that particular live event. Uh, it was absolutely fantastic. Now, keep in mind, that was the first part of Gary Kay. I'm going to have the second part next week. It'll be Gary Kay live on a Q&A session. And what we did, Q&A, that stands for question and answer, just in case somebody didn't quite understand that. You know, sometimes you throw acronyms out there and people don't know what they are. But nonetheless, uh, Q&A, it's, it's popular here in America. And I know we have listeners all throughout the, the, the globe, and they may not understand what that is. Nonetheless, let me get on to what I was going to say. So we're going to have a Q&A session. And what we did is we opened up the, um, the, the live session to the various audience members that were present with us and let them ask questions directly to Mr. Gary Kay so I could get out of the way and quit asking my questions. And uh, it was absolutely fantastic. You're going to love that episode as well. Now, on to a little bit of listener feedback for Ewan's. Michelle writes in, she says, uh, John, I am in Hilton Head, South Carolina. She says, I was, oh, so, oh, this is a kind of a serious one here. I forgot about this. She says, I was greatly wronged when my husband and our friend started to have an affair. Poor me. My goodness. I'm so sorry. I'm so sorry, Michelle. Anyway, she says, of course, this was all in my head, but just to be sure, I bugged, I bugged his car and it turns out there is something about a woman's intuition. They did end it sometime thereafter, but she thought it was a good idea to hide the pregnancy. So, so to, so the call that said, I just had your baby was a bit of a shocker. Oh my goodness. Telling my then 10 and 12 year old boys was interesting. The 12 year old called her an undesirable name. And the 10 year old said, yay, I have a sister. That started my four year nightly pity party with my friend Vinnie Blanc. <laughs> I traded my obsession with catching them to an alcohol obsession. When I started day drinking, I knew it was a problem, so I went to rehab. I am six months sober now, and through the fellowship of AA, I have gotten back in touch with my inner, with my inner most conceited, selfish, resentful, 
insecure self and I am somehow remarkably better for it. Oh my goodness. Wow. She says, I have traded my ATM God for praying for others, even though I, even those I resent. Page 552 of the big book. She's talking about the praying for those that you resent. Go look that up. Page 552 of the big book. He said, she said, I found your podcast on Spotify and I have enjoyed all the speakers. Every week I look forward to a new episode. Please keep up the good work, Michelle. So because there were some details in there that I thought that she may not want me to read on air, Michelle. I went ahead and I I asked her if it was okay for me to read this particular feedback on the podcast. And she wrote me back. She said, sure, John, feel free. Maybe it will help somebody. And I bet it will, Michelle. I so much better will. She says, I live in a small community. So so anonymity, it is basically impossible, yet enlightening. Cheating is a funny thing. Most people knew or suspected, but nobody made that much of a deal out of it. And then you add a baby and friends and family into the mix, and they ran for the hills. Many making sure to give their infinite wisdom slash advice before disappearing. Please let your viewers know, I think she means your listeners know, that if they are ever in Hilton Head, our clubhouse, Y-A-N-A, which stands for, it's an acronym, folks, which stands for You Are Not Alone, is still open for meetings with mask and social distancing. So, well, we're letting them know, and if anyone's ever in Hilton Head, South Carolina, and they want a meeting, uh, at least nowadays, uh, you can go to the clubhouse called Yana, Y-A-N-A, could be Yana, you are not alone. And Michelle, thank you for your vulnerability, I sure do appreciate that. Bill writes in, and Bill says, by the way, this is Bill L., not Bill C. or anyway, any of the other bills we have. He says, on my, I'm, this is Bill L. I'm on my second installment of sobriety, 22 years the first time and 14 years this time. Wow, Bill, that's quite a lot of experience there. He says, I am from Elliott Lake, Ontario, Canada. By the power of the internet and COVID, my home group is 2,000 miles away on the West Coast. Don't recall how I came to find Sober Speak. However, I love the format of the interviewing. Puts a whole new dimension into a speaker meeting. Yeah, so you know, that's interesting you say that, Bill, because when I first started this, one of my thoughts was, you know, I love speaker meetings and I love listening to people's stories, but I can tell you, from a selfish perspective, there are many times I hear people saying something and I want to go, whoa, 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 wait. Let, let's talk about that a little bit more. Can you dive into that? <laughs> so it just, just gave me a chance to like interact, interrupt people at a speaker meeting, basically. Anyway, Bill says, he says, usually I listen to the car and I have not had a chance to write down the episodes that really resonated with me. There have been many, I believe. I just finished number episode number 24. It got me thinking about living in the moment and how to use my power of choice wisely. 
Anyway, I'm presently unemployed, so I send out uh, bits of money here and there. Oh, he made a, a contribution. Thank you, Bill. Uh, man, there's, anyway, I, I just appreciate it. Here and there to areas that help me day to day. And Sober Speak has become a car ride favorite for me. I hope you have a grand year. Thanks again, Bill. Well, thank you, Bill. I sure do appreciate you writing in. Ronnie writes in and she says, thank you so much for your service. From the bottom of my Al-Anon heart, your podcast helps me carry on. With love and gratitude, Ronnie. Well, Ronnie, right back out to your your Al-Anon heart. <laughs> With love and gratitude, coming right back out to you. I really appreciate you writing in. appreciate your support. I appreciate you listening in. Sharla writes in, love that name, Sharla. It sounds like a Southern name, but I think she's written in before, and I think she's from like Ohio or something like that. In fact, yeah, yeah, she on, on this one, it says Sharla from Ohio. All right, she says, hi, John, I'm Sharla. She says, I guess that would be Charlotte, actually, is what I'm thinking of in the Southern terms. But nonetheless, Sharla sounds very similar to Charlotte before for me, and my guess is she's been called that before. Nonetheless, I've been a grateful member of Al-Anon since January of 2019. I love that the Al-Anons listen to this so much. I just absolutely love it. And boy, do I have a family tree chock full of qualifiers. <laughs> <laughs> a family tree chock full of qualifiers. <laughs> she says, I live in Dayton, Ohio. Yes, here you go. And I found your podcast a little under two years ago on Apple Podcasts and started listening to Sober Speak and the recovery show simultaneously in the spring of 2019. She's talking about my friend Spencer over there on The Recovery Show. And she goes on, much to my surprise and delight, you and Spencer were already connected. Yes, you and your guests have been with me every day since then to and fro work. Your podcast has played a huge role in supporting me through my recovery. She says, I love, big underline, big capital letters, AA, Al-Anon, and the spirituality of the programs. All your speakers have given me more hope than I showed up for before each podcast. John, I would not be here today without this program I'm sure she's talking about Al-Anon, and hope one day my story can offer courage, strength, and hope to others. Well, it's doing that right now, Miss Sharla. She says, my entire life, since my first memory, I remember feeling like I was homesick, even while I was at home. It's hard to explain that feeling, but I guess you could say I feel empty, hollow, or like Something was just missing, important, but I didn't even know what, quote, it was. My tragedies have struck my family since I was a very young girl. I learned to survive under a blanket of untreated alcoholism, Al-Anons and other traumas that I just thought were normal life. Now I'm learning to, quote, unsurvive and start thriving. Good for you, Sharla. I hit my rock bottom when, when my kids and I left home after an intense fight with my husband, their stepfather. We left 
and lived in the basement of my friend's house for about five weeks until I could get a small place for us to rent. I was so sad and deflated. Mentally, physically, and emotionally, I was on my last ounce of life. This was it. I finally broke. I couldn't fix any of this, and I felt responsible for everything that went wrong. I can still feel my heart physically aching as I cried out for help into the night, uh, into the room that night. In my brokenness, I surrendered to my HP. I was laying in the dark, crying on a mattress placed on the floor and begged for someone or something to tell me what to do next. I was so lost, but willing to do anything at that point to make my pain go away. I entered the rooms of Al-Anon in February of 2019, and my life began to change in a slow but big way. Life didn't get easier, but I gained support and became stronger. I am working with a sponsor and currently studying and working my way through steps six and seven. What a beautiful program we have. I cannot express my gratitude gratitude toward you and every single guest on your podcast. Y'all make me want to move to Texas. <laughs> See, I knew she was Southern, double exclamation point. I've heard you speak about the conference in Crested Butte, Colorado, and I have truly, and I, and I have truly haven't stopped dreaming about making it there one day. Well, you know, I, I would love to meet you and gosh, so many of you uh, at that conference. It would be fantastic. Uh, I, I could tell you that the Crested Butte Conference for this summer, uh, just so you know, Charlotte and anybody else who's interested in it, is still up in the air for uh, July or August of this year coming up, right? Obviously, it's COVID. We don't know exactly where that's going. But anyway, I hope to meet you and your family there one day. She says, thank you for your service. Your, uh, I love your sense of humor and your vulnerability. I know we've never met, but I consider you all my extended family. Well, thank you, Sharla. And right back at you. I consider you part of my extended family as well. She says, hope to meet some of you one day or maybe join a meeting with you and some of your guests. Please feel free to send me some great virtual meetings if you think about it best. Sharla from Ohio. Okay. So a couple of things. Thank you so much, Sharla, for writing in. That, that was an absolutely wonderful email. I really appreciate it. And God bless you and your journey and your sponsor and your group and everybody uh, that is involved with you along the way. Uh, in terms of the virtual meetings, if you go to our website, Sober Speak, uh, excuse me, the Super Secret Facebook group, and if you're not in there, once again, send me your email, john at soberspeak.com, and I will get you in, I will send you an invite out to that. And um, in terms of the, the, the live meetings that we have, once again, I'm probably doing those once a quarter, maybe even more than that now. Uh, the next time I have a live meeting, I will definitely send out an invite to it. You're on my email list and you'll get an email saying, hey, we're going to have a live meeting coming up and uh, I'd love to quote, see you in there, right? We all have our cameras on and get to mingle with each other. So thank you, Charlotte, for writing in. 
Melanie writes in and she says, hello, John. I'm a teacher from London. Hello, Melanie. Is this, I wonder if this is Mel B writing in. (laughs) Just kidding. It's not Mel B. Not everybody named Melanie in in England is Mel B. I'm sorry. I just, I crack myself up sometimes. She says, hello, John. I'm a teacher from London. I've been teaching psychology for a few years now and have three children. I'm a single parent and that's how I like it to be. A dog and a cat too. I absolutely love listening to your podcast in bed before I go to sleep at night. Uh, listening to firsthand accounts of a road to sobriety always motivates me to stay on the straight and narrow. My stop date was the 28th of May, 2020. I had a blip in July. Now, I've never heard it called a blip. <laughs> she means a little bit of a, a slip there. And she's anyway, she says, I had a blip in July and found the new year quite challenging as I come from an Irish family of drinkers. But that's another story. Hello, Melanie. So anyway, I tried to go into an, an Irish accent very quickly, but I couldn't do it. I'm sorry. I'm really bad at this stuff. See, anyway, she says, oh, by the way, Melanie, when I do at the beginning of the podcast and I say plenty, oh, listeners or plenty, oh, listener feedback at the end, that is my tip of the hat to all the Irish men and women out there, which, you know, Ireland is the birthplace of alcoholism. (laughs) I'm just kidding. I got that from Bill C. Nonetheless. She says, uh, uh, there was a speaker who resonated with me that I listened to his story twice, once in bed and the next whilst, I love it when the Australians and the English use that word, whilst, while is what we say over here in the States, whilst cycling, and I cried both times, and for the life of me, I cannot remember his name. He also did drugs, and his grandmother died, and said that when he first went into NA, they said he'd have to give up drinking and go to AA, but he thought, F that, so instead continued down that self-destructive path for many years. Maybe his name was Steve. I'd like to listen to him again, or I'll have to search him out. He got me quite emotional. She says, I've had so many stories, and I'd like to one day sit back and talk about it. Maybe I should start a journal because you see, for so many years, I've been telling my stories but only to people who have been drunk or too high to care. She says, thanks for your talk. They cheer me up. And I'd love to imagine what you look like. (laughs) Send me a photo. Take care and God bless. Melanie X. Well, Melanie, yeah, I don't know. I I just, you know, I I don't send photos of myself. Who knows? You could be sorely disappointed, but thank you for writing in. I, I appreciate it. But you can do when you when you come to our live meetings. Uh, if you come to our live meetings that we have, we have the cameras turned on, and you can. Uh, 
oh, you can enjoy my mug for like an hour and a half if you so chose to do so. But I'd rather you be looking at the guest who's actually doing the talking. But nonetheless, I appreciate you writing in, Melanie. I sure do. And by the way, okay, so I just thought about something. I have mentioned this on the pod in the past, but we wanted to start doing more blogs on our website. And we had Rebecca write in. She actually did a blog for, she took one of our episodes, which I'd love for anybody to do. She took one of Bill C's episode and she kind of summarized it and wrote, you know, a long blog of, you know, what he talked about during that episode. And it was just kind of a, it was a really cool thing. We posted it on our website. If some of you are out there and you want to send in a blog, like Melanie was talking about, you know, I had a sort of journal and I have all these stories, but, you know, basically I've been talking to people who were as drunk as high as, high as I was, you know, they didn't care. But if you want to put that in a format that where, you know, we could maybe post that on the blog, on the, on the website, kind of your story, if you will, uh, just send it to me. Uh, we'll, we'll review it. You know, I can't guarantee you know, that we'll put it out there. Um, but I would love to see what people have to uh, offer up, but I really would like people to go listen to one of the episodes and, and make a, a blog, right? Something that says, okay, this is what so-and-so talked about on episode number 146 or whatever it is and kind of make an outline of it. So, because some people learn better through reading and I would love to have that as a place where people can come to on our website and actually read through those uh, valid points that were brought up on an actual episode. Anyway, that's the end of the episode. Thank you all for coming in again. Keep coming back. It works if you work it. Um, Love you guys, and I really appreciate you uh, spending time with us. I will most likely be back next week. I take this one week at a time. Until then, enjoy your day or whatever. (laughs) Keep coming back. It works if you work it. Bye-bye.